Well, good evening. Can I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. And uh, I was grateful to be able to sing with you that hymn, All I Have is Christ. That's uh, one of my favorite hymns because it's true. Uh, All I Have is Jesus. That's true of uh, preachers as well as it is of the people who are sitting in the, well, what used to be pews. And uh, whether the preachers always know that or not, it's true, all I have is Christ. And as we come tonight to uh, this text, my desire is that amidst the fears that oppress our day, the things that press in on our hearts, our battle with our own sin, our temptations and conflict from Satan, our, what's good, the chaos that's going on in our world, that what we would see is that Jesus really has put the darkness on notice. So would you look with me at Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 26, and I'll read uh, through to verse 39. Please give this your heartfelt and reverent attention. It is the Word of God. Then they sailed, that is, the disciples and Jesus, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he'd worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demon, found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, the Holy Son of God, into the world to save sinners, not just to convert us, but to sanctify us, not just to sanctify us, but to glorify us. Lord, we are gathered here tonight as your people. You've chosen us from the foolish things of the world. You have chosen the things that are nothing 
that you might bring to nothing the things that are. Lord, we're not here because of what we bring to the table. We're here because you get glory out of choosing fools and commissioning them to uh, worship Christ and preach the gospel of Christ. And so our boast is in Jesus. So Lord, we pray that as we go, as we hear the revelation of Christ from your word tonight, that we would go from the place emboldened in Jesus, boasting in Christ. Lord, uh, we pray that for those who come tonight struggling with fear, struggling with sin, struggling with the assaults of the evil one, that you would either bring them to faith or build their faith. And we pray it all for the glory of God as you do good to your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a little novel about a Christian family in Scotland in 1707. The main character in the novel is a boy named Mac Ayton. And the point of the novel is to show how the Christian faith and family that Mac is raised with, how it intersects with his adventures and his temptations. On one occasion, Mac has a bad dream. He dreams that he's down by the seaside, and he's confronted by a one-eyed witch. And so he wakes up from this bad dream, and his dad knows that he's afraid. And he brings Mac over to him and puts him up on his knee, and he asks Mac why he is frightened. And so Mac recites the vision of the one-eyed witch. And then Mac's dad asks him, Mac, how does Christ execute the office of a king? That's Westminster Shorter Catechism 26. And then Mac, Mac replies, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And dad looks at Mac and he says, then you shall not be afraid of witches. Basically, the point is, the story has frightened somebody. Basically, the point is, if Christ is king, what have you to fear from the darkness? Long before the catechism was written, the apostle John put it this way, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, John was used by the Holy Spirit to write that because he was an eyewitness to it. He was one of the twelve on the day when Jesus showed up in the boat and went ashore at the Gerasenes, ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So tonight, would you let me try to put this utterly thrilling, life-transforming reality in one takeaway sentence for you. Jesus has ended the devil's rule over all those who are Christ's. So we should respond to Jesus by wanting to be with Him. Jesus has ended the devil's rule over all of those who are Christ's. So we should respond to Jesus by wanting to be with Him. I want to get at that thrilling, life-transforming reality by seeing, observing three things from this episode tonight. I want you to see first the condition of the country and the man. That's the first thing we're going to look at, the condition and the country of the man. Then I want you to notice with me the submission and the obedience of the demons, the submission and the obedience of the demons. And then lastly, we're going to look at the responses of the people in the story. Those are the three things we're going to look at. First, look at the condition and the country of the country and the man. Notice that with me. Jesus steps off of the boat this day into a living hell. 
Everything about that place and the person that he met screams of darkness. It's almost as though Dr. Luke, who wrote the gospel, wants us to see the oppressive gray sky. He wants us to smell the stench of death on the shore when Jesus' boat arrives. The Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes, as they were sometimes known, was on the opposite side of the Lake of Galilee, and it was opposite in a lot more than geography. See, this was an area where good Israelites didn't go. It was a predominantly non-Jewish territory that was populated and engaged by pagan religion. Now, our first clue is that there are pigs present. Mark's gospel tells us there were about 2,000. So this is unclean territory. Not only are there pigs nearby, there are tombs. So there's death, more religiously unclean territory. And on top of that, there were Romans. This area was actually the base for the largest number of Roman troops this side of the Roman Empire. So this is the enemy's territory. This is the staging area for Israel's oppressors. And so the country onto which Jesus stepped when he got out of the boat is thick with spiritual impurity, the stench of death, oppressive bondage. See, the picture is this is the country where darkness rules. And that rule is devastatingly manifest in a dreadfully tormented man who confronted Jesus. Do you remember Tolkien's character, Smeagol? If you know the story, you probably know him better as Gollum. I want it, it's mine. That guy. The ugly, distorted half-creature of Lord of the Rings, Gollum actually used to be a human being. He used to be Smeagol. The awful creature that we remember was the manifestation of his being consumed by darkness. And the biography of this miserable man who confronted Jesus shows us the reality of what unconquered darkness does to a human being. It destroys the dignity in which we were created as image bearers of God. If you notice what happened to this man first, he's unclothed. He's running around naked because he's out of his mind. Second, he lives amongst the dead in tombs. Third, he's utterly cut off from society. They've chained this guy up as far away from where people live as possible. But the power of his tormentors is such that he breaks the chains, and in his mad nakedness, he's driven from the tombs to the wilderness. He's driven from the place of death to the place of despair and destruction. And what we learn is that this happens because he is perpetually assaulted by a gang of demons. They call themselves legion. That's the Roman military's designation for the largest unit of about 5,000 soldiers. And there were clearly enough evil spirits that when they later inhabit the large herd of pigs, they drive them into the lakes. See, what happens is the demons had driven the life of this man to the point where he lived more like an animal than a human being. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the early church leaders, gave us this description of the man. In great misery and nakedness, he wandered among the graves of the dead He was in utter wretchedness, leading a disgraceful life, 
deprived of every blessing, destitute of all sobriety, and entirely deprived of even reason. This was a human being in whom darkness ruled. Now we're all sitting here on Sunday evening in a nice environment where we look nice, talk nice, most of us smell nice. And we know how to present ourselves clothed and in our right mind. And, and we might be tempted to relate to this as, well, this is simply an ancient story of a pitiful human being in history. But here's the reality that God reveals to us. Without Jesus, every single one of us is under the dominating, destroying, degrading rule of the evil one. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Have you ever known the sense of being completely exposed after you've been passionately satisfying that desire again? The nakedness of shame? Have you ever had to go and take that long look in the mirror after you've been into that habit again and you've asked yourself as you look in the mirror, what have I become? I must be out of my mind. Have you ever listened to someone who's had to live with or try to love another who's been under the power of sin and Satan with reckless abandon? You ever heard the language, how could they behave like that? They're just, they're just driven to it. It makes no sense. I don't recognize them anymore. This miserable, tormented man is simply one of the most pointed pictures of the misery of sin in the whole of Scripture. This is a human being who is under the rule of darkness into which we are all born and by which we are all ruled outside of Jesus Christ. So here's the glorious good news about Jesus. God sent him and anointed him by the Holy Spirit. He said in his mission statement, he preached a mission sermon in his home church in Nazareth in, in Luke chapter 4. God sent him and anointed him by the Spirit to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, Jesus did not leave this person unclean, harmful, harm, homeless, and demon-driven. You notice how the passage develops. The man had many demons, but the demons left him. He had worn no clothes, and at the end of the story, he's clothed. He lived amongst the tombs. Jesus restored him to his home. He confronted Jesus and shouted at him. Later, he sits at Jesus' feet. The demon seized him, and he was out of control. Later, he's in his right mind. And then, Jesus turned him into a preacher. Jesus delivered him. He restored him. He renewed him for a God-glorifying purpose. And this was not a religious person living in a religious community. This was a pagan in enemy territory that was thick with darkness. The glorious good news about Jesus is that he delivers those under the domain of darkness. And that only gets better when we consider precisely how he did it with this man. 
So not only do you see the condition of the country and the condition of the man. Secondly, tonight, would you notice with me the subjection and obedience of the demons? The subjection and obedience of the demons. There's a, there's a Randall Wallace film about the cavalry in, in the Vietnam War. And there's a definitive scene when the cavalry are swooping into the valley on their helicopters to begin the first engagement. And Wallace, the director, cues us that the battle is about to ensue by turning the camera on the cavalry commander, Hal Moore. And in slow motion, we watch the commander's footstep come out of the helicopter and touch the ground. And we know the conflict has begun. It's almost the way Luke has set the scene for us. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped on the land... There met him a man from the city who had demons. The king puts his foot on the field and all Hades breaks loose. We know from what happened to the pigs, there was a steep bank running from the sea into into the territory. The man is up there, golem-like, running around in the tombs. And as soon as the Son of God puts his foot on land, they know he's there. And they know they're done for. The man rushed towards Jesus with a cry and a shout, and he falls before his feet. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, what have you to do with me? That was a well-used phrase in their world. Everybody knew what it meant. When you said, what have you to do with me, that meant we've got nothing to do with each other. The unclean spirits knew that that they and the Holy Son of God had nothing in common, that His mere presence in the territory meant that they could no longer remain because they knew who He was, the Son of the Most High God. There's a promise right at the beginning of the Bible. It's right after Adam had put himself and all of us under the reign of Satan by listening to the serpent rather than to God. And when God righteously judged Adam and Eve, he pronounced a curse on the serpent, Satan. And he also made a gracious promise. God promised that Eve's offspring would step on the serpent's head, a sign of utter conquest. You can read it in Genesis 3.15. And that promise develops through the Old Testament until it shows up in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Those are promises about God's son, the king, who would be what Adam failed to be. God's righteous representative ruler subduing the whole earth to God's glory. God said he was going to send his son to rule in his name and put his foot on the neck of his enemies, especially the serpent. Now the demons are at the feet of Jesus and they know he is the promised son of God and they know that his presence means it's over. That's why they beg, do not torment me. That's what a defeated foe does. Pleads from the champion who's just established power over them. Don't torment me. Basically, uncle, I give, you win. And if you notice in the text, it happens three times. They beg. 
Luke tells us, they beg, do not torment me. They beg, do not command us to go into the abyss. They beg to be, to be sent into the pigs. Please don't miss the picture. Jesus single-handedly faces down a legion of demons and they beg at his feet. See, Jesus stepped onto that land and the kingdom of darkness was brought to its knees. And all of this revealed to his disciples who I think are back in the boat kind of looking over the edge at this point. Revealed the utter subjection of the entire kingdom of darkness to his authority as the Son of God. Later on in his ministry, Luke chapter 11, Jesus will say this, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. What Jesus is teaching us is this. He's the stronger man, and he has come, and he has plundered, and the spoil is us. He's come to get us from Satan's kingdom. Like this poor man. One of the eyewitnesses back in the boat looking over the sides would later write this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John 3, 8. Do you see the glory of Jesus? Do you see the goodness of Jesus? So, we should not be afraid of witches or darkness or foreign powers. Jesus is so worthy of our trust and our adoration. Now, maybe you're asking yourself as you hear this good news and you're trying to sort it out, if Jesus put the kingdom of darkness under his foot, why do I still get tempted? Why do I still get harassed? Why is there still crazy stuff going on in our world? As the New Testament says, it does and it will. The answer is actually given to us in the book of Hebrews. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing. Listen to this. He left nothing outside his control. There's not some stuff that Jesus doesn't have control of. At present, we do not yet see everything subject to him. See, while all things, including the kingdom of darkness, have been put under Jesus' feet, His kingdom is not yet seen in the world around us. We actually see that in the passage, in the fact that Jesus did not command the demons to go into the abyss. The abyss is that place of final judgment for the devil and demons and sinful humanity. It's the eternal assignment for all God's enemies at the final judgment. On that day, Jesus, on this day, Jesus still has the cross in front of Him. His resurrection is still to come. His return is still in front of Him. Final judgment has not yet come until Jesus returns. This is like D-Day. This is like June 6, 1944, when that massive Allied expeditionary force landed on the beaches of Europe, and everybody, even the German high command, knew it is now over. It might take a year for this war to wind up, but the incursion has occurred, and the victory is declared. Assured. It's just a matter of time. See, this was the Son of God 
putting darkness on notice in enemy territory that the kingdom has come, the kingdom has begun, and the final outcome is secured. And while the evil one is yet permitted to remain in this world, in this present darkness, as Ephesians 6 calls it, the rule of Christ has now been immovably, irrevocably established in the hearts of all who belong to Him. So while we are yet tempted, while we yet get accused, we cannot be ruled by the evil one. And it's only a matter of time until the rule of Christ is seen throughout the entire creation. Now you see that in this man. Jesus did not yet command the unclean spirits to go out of the world in which we live. But you notice that they must obey Jesus. They must, they must, because Jesus said so, relinquish their rule of this man for whom he had come. You realize, if we were to read the whole narrative tonight, the fact that Jesus got in the boat, calmed the storm, went to the Gadarenes, and when he immediately went back to Galilee. He did nothing else in the Gadarenes. Do you know why he sailed across the Sea of Galilee? For this guy. Jesus has come for this man. And when Jesus says you have to go to the unclean spirit, they have to go. Because he's the holy son of God. The subjection and obedience of this legion of demons shows us that Jesus has ended the devil's rule over all those who are Christ's. So how then do we prevail in the fight? Stay close to the king. Stay next to Jesus. So that brings us to an important question. How do you respond to this great Jesus? You see, it's not, just en- it's not enough just to know how G- who Jesus is. That's a, that is a huge temptation in a highly religious community. If you've been raised in the church your whole life, if you've been visiting the church for a while, well, now I've got the... I've got the dictionary definitions down. I've got, the, I've got the categories down. I can tell you who Jesus is. So could the demons. James, another one who was back in the boat, said this, even the demons believe and shudder. See, the response to this Christ is not that you just agree with who He says He is. The response to this Christ is to commit yourself to Him by faith to being fully His And we actually see that in the different responses of the people. So we've seen the condition of the country and of the man. We've seen the subjection and obedience of the demons. Here's the last thing I'd like us to notice. And this is all important to us. The responses of the people. Notice the responses of the people. The episode gives us two responses which evidence two very different hearts towards Jesus. Here's response number one. Leave us alone. Response number two, I want to be with you. Those are the two responses in the passage. The first response comes from the townspeople. Do you notice they've got the facts? They're not without the facts about Jesus. 
They were told by those who saw what happened, what happened. They came and they saw what happened. Do you notice this in the passage? They show up, the guy that they've chained out in the, with the demons, they've chained out, out in the, amongst the tombs, this guy, they come and they see him and he's his right mind, he's clothed, he's sitting at the rabbi's feet. They could see it, they knew what happened. And they said, praise the Lord, we need this Christ. No, it says they asked them to depart, for they were seized with great fear. Now, why would they be afraid of the banishment of demons and the restoration of this demon-tormented man? Why in the world would they be afraid because demons are gone and this guy's in his right mind? What would do that to people? Because of the pigs. The pigs represented two things. A herd that size reflected wealth. And the fact that the herd was kept near the tombs meant they were likely being used in dark practices of pagan sacrifice to the dead. The presence and authority of the Holy Son of God meant by dealing with the pigs, He was going to deal with their wealth and He was going to deal with their worship and so they wanted Him gone. And even the miracle of mercy that He lavished on this man was not enough to compel them from their course. They wanted Jesus to leave them alone because the kind of authority he had meant he was going to mess with the way of life they'd built for themselves. Did you ever find yourself there? I built this nice, comfortable, fairly successful way of life. I got worship the way I want it. I'm doing things the way I want to do it. And then Jesus breaks in and a revelation from Scripture with all of His authority and He's going to mess with your life and you say, leave me alone. I don't care what miracles you show me. I don't care what deeds of mercy I see lavished around me. I don't care what displays of grace I see lavished throughout people's lives. Don't mess with my world. That's what these people were doing with Jesus. Here's response number two. This is the one you're shooting for. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to be with you. That's the response of the person who knew what a desperate state he was in and was now basking in the might and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus has got other plans for him. He's not going to take him with him because he's going to turn him into a preacher. This is kind of Jesus planting a church over in the Gadarenes. But that's another sermon. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be one of Jesus' disciples. He wants to commit his whole life to following him. This is the response of faith. I've seen my need I've tasted the mercy of Christ. I've tasted the might of God in Christ. And I want Christ. I want to be with Jesus. In all of His holiness. In all of His authority. In all of His mercy. I want to be with you, Jesus. So could I ask you this evening? You who have again and again and again and again, seen the glory and the greatness and the grace of Jesus Christ. You've heard what He's done. Are you giving Him more than the demons give to Him? Seriously. Are we giving Jesus more than the repetition of facts about Him? The demons can do that. James told us that. 
We know who you are. We tremble before you. Or are we responding to Jesus by giving him all of us and committing all of us to him in faith and saying, Jesus, I want to be all yours. Jesus has ended the devil's rule over all those who are in Christ. So we should respond to Jesus by wanting to be with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we adore you tonight for your glory, your greatness, and your grace. We confess that you are king, and there is coming a glorious day when our mighty King Jesus will return as judge of the living and the dead, and the fact that you are now enthroned will be manifest throughout the entire cosmos. We long for the day. But Lord Jesus, while you've given us this pilgrimage through this present darkness, we pray that you would help us to cling by faith to Christ. And Lord, if there would be one here tonight who does not even have faith in Jesus, would you deliver? Would you rescue? Would you establish your kingdom of grace in their heart? Then, Lord, we pray for your people here at Harvest, and we ask that you would equip them, you would equip all of us to face the world, the flesh, and the devil by faith in Christ through the Spirit of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that for your glory and our joy, your rule would be manifest in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.